There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rulure Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, joining you from Colorado here in the United States. It is snowing. I am bummed. <laughs> I really want to get out there and ride, man. It's, it's, it's getting that time where my legs are like aching for a good hard ride. And now that racing has started, you know, we can watch the pros out there really crushing it. It's like extra motivation time. And, you know, the two, the two stage races that started recently, um, I'm not sure when this podcast episode goes live, but right now, uh, Paris-Nice and Torino Adriatico are, are going on. And, you know, the first stage of Torino was, was a time trial. And, you know, that was uh, an interesting one to watch, just given the context of what's happened recently in the pro peloton with Egan Bernal. And, you know, after Egan's crash, uh, Chris Froome had a lot of opinions about time trial bikes and whether they're safe, whether riders should even be riding them. And honestly, it wasn't even that long ago that uh, time trials were, were done on regular old road bikes. So, you know, in the name of aerodynamics, you know, time trial bikes have taken over the Peloton. Uh, they're fast. We know that. Uh, but what's, what makes them so hard to handle? What makes them so, uh, dangerous as it were? I mean, you know, is it just because they're the rider's head position is down or are there other factors? So I wanted to talk to uh, a few people and, and today we're going to have the pros take uh, after the break. But before we get into that, I wanted to take a deeper look at what what a designer uh, does to mitigate danger dangerous factors in a time trial bike while still maintaining all the the aerodynamic advantages that you can. So today on the line, I have uh, Cameron Piper, who's the road product manager at Specialized Bicycles. Cameron, you know, you have a pretty unique uh, perspective on this particular topic, not only from your role as Specialized, but also your, your past as a racer. Can you tell me a little bit about your past? Why am I, in other words, why am I talking to you today? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess my educational background is I was a mechanical engineer at a college. I concentrated in thermal fluid systems. Um, I've always had an interest in outdoor sports, and that's what led me to Specialized, where initially I was running our wind tunnel, doing a lot of the R&D, um, air R&D work that we had here um, in Morgan Hill. And since then, I moved on to the road product team to be a product manager for some of our performance road bikes, namely Shiv, Shiv TT, Tarmac, Athos, and on the other side of things, I've also been racing at a relatively high level for a number of years now, um, which includes a lot of work on the time trial bike uh, a number of years ago, winning nationals here in the U.S. and, and really spending a lot of time on that bike. So um, my background, both aerodynamically and also professionally, has really taken me to pay a lot of attention to this space, and I'm really excited to talk about it today. 
time trial champion. I mean, that just makes my back hurt listening to it. <laughs> my my experience on TT bikes is fairly limited. Uh, I've done some testing, but you know, I, as somebody who spends most of my time on on you know a standard road bike position, you know, transitioning to a TT bike position, it's a totally different beast. It's a totally different animal. Uh, and, and there's a big, big learning curve. Talk a little bit about uh, what is what it is about TT bikes that make them more difficult to control than your standard road bike. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things in the past that were the idea or perception of what it means to make an aerodynamic bike. Obviously, there's two parts to this equation. You have the actual bike itself, which the designers here can control in, in designing a, a fast aerodynamic frame, as well as the rider who's on board, the engine. And when you look at just the first aspect of that, of designing a frame and thinking about why historically there's a perception for a, a difference in handling of the bike is, is really around the frame geometry. And a lot of times in these positions that riders are put on these bikes, you're looking to stretch them out, kind of get them as low as possible so your frame stack and reach is relatively short and low, um, which really, when you look at the the center of mass for the rider, you're shifting a lot of that center of mass forward, which changes your steering response. And so as designers here in Morgan Hill and, and what we've done with a, a lot of our top end road teams is to really think about that center of mass and what we can do from a geometry perspective in order to ensure that riders are confident and stable while riding at higher speeds on these time trial bikes. Um, and so there's a number of different geo measurements that we can look at namely whether it's head tube angle or your fork rake or trail or your front center that can contribute to the stability or confidence for a rider at higher speeds. So there's a lot of factors coming in here. And I think when you look specifically about what happened to Egan Bernal, it's easy to just say, oh, well, he had his head down uh, and that's why he crashed. And that's, I'm sure that that's probably the main consideration, but there are other factors here. You know, for example, if he had had his head up, he may not have been able to steer out of the t- out of the way in time anyway, and a lot of that ha- comes down to, like you said, weight distribution, uh, which can affect the uh, handling characteristics of the bike. So, you know, in order to get into that aerodynamic position, riders, like you said, are often positioned forward and down, which puts a lot of weight forward and down, right? And that's that's focusing a lot of that weight above uh, your front wheel. Um, what does that do to the handling specifically? I mean. If I'm in that TT position, I mean, even even if I wasn't in that TT position, how does that extra weight over the front end affect handling? One thing to kind of put things in perspective is I spoke a lot with our team over at Retool and the head of our human performance, Todd Carver, to get a better understanding of what that actual center of mass is when you look at a road bike versus a time trial bike. And for our elite racers on a road bike, you see that they're typically sitting roughly 25 to 30 centimeters in front of the BB where that center mass is, which puts, you know, anywhere from 55 to 57% of their mass on the rear wheel versus the front wheel. Um, when you then shift to a time trial bike, that center mass shifts forward even further, um, upwards of hundred millimeters further forward than a road bike, which changes that ratio from that, what was 55% of the rear to now 45 to 50. And typically speaking, if you're climbing, that can uh, make it so that if you have too much weight rearward, it's going to be harder to stand up and put power down because you can lift up your front wheel. But time trials, it's not really the, the conversation. It's more about how does that impact too much weight on the front wheel in terms of your steering response and how quickly you can steer. Um, so looking at these numbers, when we think about a rider shifting forward, 
there's uh, a steering response element here that we want to try to do what we can to put the rider in the right position metabolically, but at the same time, try to make that center of mass sit in a better part of the frame so that the rider still has the ability to handle the bike confidently at higher speeds. And that brings me to my next question. So, you know, you at, at Specialized in R&D, um, what are some of the things you can do to the core design of the bike to maintain those levels of, of aerodynamics but still stabilize the steering for the rider? We're moving away from that perspective of pushing a rider longer and lower to, to be more aerodynamic. We have our wind tunnel here. We have our retool fit. We have a lot of different things that are helping us to better understand the metabolics of power put on a time trial bike. And as we learn that information with the engine or the rider on board, we're then able to better suggest certain frame sizes or adjust these geos in, in small ways that can be a positive for both aero performance as well as their metabolic output. Um, and two kind of quick things to touch on when it looks, when we look between uh, our previous Shift TT and the new Shift TT disc where the the base bar stack and reaches and what defines typically a, a time trial bike so you're measuring mostly based off of your arm pad stack and reach because a rider needs to get a little bit lower compared to a road frame um, and we've learned a lot about road geometries over a number of years here and we've started to apply that back onto a time trial bike as well because the reality is having a steering response that's more similar or more effective for a road race bicycle on time trial bike means a rider is going to feel more confident and more stable in those same situations that they'd be on time trial bike. So we've um, adjusted those geometries slightly to kind of match that. Um, and then secondarily, even just disc brakes now are giving riders the ability to have more confidence and control, both from a braking perspective, um, but also just in terms of the wheelbase that the rider has, your stays are a bit longer in the rear. Um, it's introducing a new element for riders to, to have that stability at higher speeds. You mentioned uh, retool fit, and, and I actually just went through a retool fit uh, a few weeks ago. And one of the tools that is, uh, I don't know if it has launched or is going to launch, is that the center of mass uh, calculation uh, that you can do now with a retool fit. Ex can you just briefly explain what that is, how that works, and, and why it's so important to what you do as a designer? A rider really has three touch points. So you're thinking, yeah, your hands your saddle, and then your feet. And those touch points can really define both a rider's ability to output power on the bike, but also their comfort and, and confidence while actually being on the bike. So playing with those measurements are, are different ways that we can try to align a rider properly onto a frame size so that they have the best possible experience and the best opportunity to be able to output the most power and handle their bike properly. So looking at the retool systems that we have, we're able to measure those points in a 3D space and watch exactly how they change as a rider's pedaling, changing positions, going harder, going easier, to then say, this is the best position for you as a rider because everyone's unique and individual, and we can then put them in that position on the bike, um, which has been huge when it comes to even time trials as well because we're no longer just putting a rider in a position saying, figure it out you're going to be fast aerodynamically and somehow you have to find the power. It's about the balance between the fastest position metabolically. So saying you can output the most power here for the longest amount of time and also aerodynamically and striking that balance to the point where the rider is able to really hit that sweet spot and, and be the fastest on race day. 
there's a lot of design considerations that you know the key word here is balance right you're trying to balance aerodynamics with stability and with uh, usability and and those often come at trade-offs to each other uh, and so the tt bike seems to be kind of the perfect example of that can you talk a little bit too about some of the additional design limitations that you face when you're envisioning a new tt bike like you know we always hear about uci regulations and <laughs> there are so many of them i don't know if if you folks out there listening have ever looked through the UCI regulations, they there are a lot, uh, and they change frequently. Um, how do things like that affect the handling, stability, rider position when you're de- de- designing something like the the new shiv? First and foremost, the UCI frame boxes that you're designing within just means that you're trying to make the fastest frame with the shapes you can that fit inside those those little red boxes that you're essentially given. I think the secondary piece of that when it comes to frame geometries and what the actual touch points are for the rider are the the cockpit regulation that they have when it comes to arm pad to hand height. So we're essentially trying to give riders the maximum adjustment within that frame box that they can legally ride the TT bike at. And that's a challenge because you have every rider, everyone's different, everyone has different forearm lengths, torso lengths, you name it. So the custom aspect there to allow riders to maximize their metabolic fit in that fit box is really um, the next frontier in some ways for giving riders the fastest position. I think we can design the fastest frame within those fit boxes, but everything on top of that is really working directly with each athlete to make sure they have their specific position that works for them. Um, and that's that's something that's been widely seen across a a lot of different teams and athletes where you see more custom configurations for those positions in order to maximize the the fit box. And I think the limitations there are if a rider can't find a position that's maybe safe for them, then they're, they're reaching a bit more than they should. They're trying to drop their head lower than they really need to. If they can't get their, their hands to be fixated in the right spot. So their heads at a position that's fast for them, um, which is a challenge, but it's something that we're, all working within every team has the same regulations and we're all working to find the best positions for those riders. This is a purely hypothetical and I don't want you to get in any trouble or anything, but you know, it, without those regulations from, you know, the design parameters that you have to stay within, it's certainly possible to make a faster bike, uh, TT bike. Is it possible to make a safer one? The way that we design bikes, we're all riders here. This, this project wasn't just something that we were effectively going out to make the world's fastest bike aerodynamically. I think there's an element of being able to be on these products, ride them, work with the world's best athletes to say, hey, this bike is more fun to ride. This bike feels fast. This bike handles better. There's always different steps that we can take in order to ensure that a rider feels confident on these new bikes to the point where they might have that next leg up or that next bit of stability or um, kind of you name it to be to be faster because um, a lot of times there's only so much that you can do within within those boxes but um, we're certainly not not thinking about the important elements of where these riders ride and, and what they're actually doing at higher speeds we got about a minute left before the break here but i want to ask you um you know what is the future i mean do we do we see a chris Froome future where we're back on road bikes and time trials or do we just see sort of a, a keep chipping away at the the optimal uh performance for a tt bike but maintain that same sort of riding position i personally think that there's always 
iterative gains that you can see outside of even just the equipment. I think if you look at positions of riders over the last three years, there's been a drastic shift in the way that riders are actually riding their time trial bikes in a good way. I think metabolically, we're understanding a lot more about the body and ways that we can push ourselves. Speeds are still increasing, even if the equipment hasn't necessarily changed um, considerably. We're finding those marginal gains that allow riders to be faster. And I think time trials, is a, there's always an, an element of racing the clock against um, really any sport. And it's something that is very pure when it comes to that competition. I think certainly there's elements to the racing aspect that will always continue to improve as well, both within the safety of the riders and in the challenge of the course or the where they're actually used within the races. Um, I don't personally foresee those going away, but I also... You know, the reality, too, is that frame design on the roadside are becoming faster and faster as well within the boxes that we're designing bikes in, where they're getting pretty darn close to how fast time trial bikes are outside of the position of the rider on board. So it's a unique space in general just to, to know where we're at and the technology and things that we've learned over a number of years now. And um, it still makes me excited for the future. And I think time trial will still have a space in that. We're going to take a quick break here. Thanks, Cameron, for, for all your insight here. It's, it's pretty fascinating to talk about the actual physical uh, product itself. But then, you know, there's, there's another aspect to this, which is the rider and his or her confidence in the bike, on the bike, uh, you know, and, and being forced into a position that maybe that, that's not their forte. And that's sort of another wild card. So after the break, we're going to hear from uh, one of those pros. But uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from some of our sponsors. We will be right back. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinnewee, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. We're back, and I am still Dan Cavallari, uh, and I am still in Colorado, and uh, uh, we are still talking TT bikes. And, you know, one of the the incredible things about uh, bikes in general is when you talk to an engineer, they have the scientific explanation for everything, and that makes a lot of sense. And then you talk to riders who have a completely different perspective on uh, a bike's performance, fit, feel, uh, handling, all of that. So we're going to talk to some riders. And first up, I am speaking with uh, Michael Hutchinson, who is a former British and Irish time trial champion. Michael, how are you? Hi, Dan. I'm very good. Yeah, Michael, you've you've had a pretty prolific career. You've you've uh, made several attempts at the hour record. Uh, you have won time trial uh, championships uh, many many times over. Tell me a little bit about you know your career spans about. 14 years or so is that correct uh yeah something like that. i mean i think i won my first i won my first british championship in 2002 um and i won my last irish championship 2014 i raced on for a couple of years after that so yeah it's 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 been and across quite a span of technology i think as well so yeah right and that's and that's what uh that's what i really want to ask you is you know over the course of those years and you still ride tt bikes now uh, how has positioning and and handling changed over the course of those years has it gotten better has it gotten harder to manage tt bikes or easier what what's your take the bikes themselves have got easier 
when I first started racing, we were still kind of just coming out of the era when time trial bikes had small front wheels. Um, and nobody ever managed to make the geometry of a small... I never owned one, but the geometry of small wheel, small front wheel TT bikes was always a bit weird. And whatever you did to them, they were a bit peculiar. And at that point, it was just taken as read that a time trial bike was going to handle badly. As we got into kind of the 2000s, particularly when we sort of got past things like the Lugano Charter, which was kind of 2000, which was the UCI's attempt to sort of sort things out a bit. TT bike geometry got much, much closer to road bike geometry. Um, time trial bikes used to be designed with kind of very slack head angles and things because everyone was talking about oh, the stability of the, you know, the stability of the, the, the ride and it needs to hand. And everybody gave up on that. So most TT bikes from that point onwards and up to this point, the geometry is pretty similar. They weigh a bit more, which has always been the case. These days they've got a bit more side area just because of the aerodynamic profiling. My first time trial bike was made of round tubes in kind of like 1999 or something. It was made of actual steel. Can you imagine a steel time trial bike with cables everywhere? But it, it, it kind of, it's, it's side-on area. It was really small. Now that's got a lot bigger. So that's something that's changed. Overall, though, the handling, I think, has got, has got better. It hasn't changed a lot in maybe the last 10 or 12 years just because they sort of reached that stable position where most brands are using pretty much the same in geometry they're changing the dimensions a bit but the angles are staying the same so yeah it's 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 not so different from a road bike really you also have a pretty interesting perspective on these types of bikes because you've done uh, our record attempts which take place on a track generally speaking uh, and time trials take place you know outside in varying conditions and you know i think there's probably a different approach there uh to to sort of taming those beasts of bikes uh, in those different scenarios. And, I, and I'm thinking particularly about wheel depth um, because, you know, outside, you know, you're riding a, a, a solid rear disc wheel uh, and a re- really high profile front wheel. That's going to be different in terms of handling and, and being and having to basically pay attention to that in varying conditions of wind or, you know, whatever. Whereas inside, it's a more controlled experience. Um, have you found that it's different approaching those two disciplines or is it generally still fighting the same battles? Uh, it's different. The back half of the bike's the same, a disc's a disc. Uh, the kind of the crosswinds you need before a rear disc starts to affect your handling, quite honestly, you probably don't want to be riding a bike in that anyway. It doesn't It, it, it doesn't make it. Maybe if you're like a super light climber, you're kind of weighing 53 or 54 kilos a little bit more, but the back end of the bike is the same, whatever. Front end is more critical on the track, usually for a pursuit or an R record or something, you're going to the front disc. Um, and on the track, that's fine. That's no problem at all. Front disc on the road is a very dicey occupation because it flicks the steering all over the place. I've ridden up a disc on the road once or twice. It's not really legal for racing over here. I've done it to see what it's like, but you don't, you don't really want to get involved in that. Uh, deeper rim wheels, it's very much a personal preference. I, I pretty much never found a wheel that I wasn't prepared to ride in anything. Sometimes it was more difficult than others. But I always was sort of happy enough to do it. Other people were were fussier about it. Tri-spoke wheels are different from deep rim wheels. In general, they've got better because the the engineers have kind of got on top of what causes the handling issues, which is about where the wheel stalls. And that interacts with when it's most aerodynamic. So if you're making an aerodynamic wheel, it's probably not going to stall abruptly either. So again, in particularly the last sort of 10 years, that actually has improved a lot. It used to be a bigger issue than now um, for most pro riders these days. 
they've got to they're got, they're got to ride whatever they're issued with. It's it's going to be a very very windy day before they start they start changing that. And then I guess the last question, well, not the last. I have many more questions, but <laughs> the last question on on this sort of tack is, uh, you know, with the hour record, you are married to that position for an hour. Uh, and you know, on the road bike, just a regular road bike, you have the opportunity when your body gets tired to change positions and maintain some semblance of freshness. And even in shorter time trials, which are not generally an hour, you're still kind of married to that position and your body fatigues, I would say more quickly. Um, does that affect handling for you and, and, and safety in any regard? I mean, as you get more tired, uh, does it become harder to manage the bike? Eventually, yes. If you go in the in, in the UK, we have some very long time trials because we have individual distance time trial championships that go all the way up to sort of things like twelve hours and twenty four hours. The, the longest I've ever done is a twelve hour. I've done a couple of twelve hour time trials, um, which don't get me wrong, I don't enjoy it that I've done them. Um, and certainly, hacking on towards the end of one of those, if if it's sort of windy and there's crosswind and so on, yeah, it's, it's more difficult. It's still not going to be your biggest issue because the biggest issue is just holding that position because um, anyone who's done the R record will say that the thing about the position in an R record is that it's completely relentless. It really starts to drill back into you because you can't get out of the saddle. You can't take a little bit of a stretch. You don't realize how much time you spend freewheeling on a road TT until you try riding a TT on the track and realize that suddenly 100 RPM every minute of, of an hour on the track with no let up at all is a very different thing. I don't know that it affects kind of, in that span of time, I don't know that it affects the handling or, or anything quite like that. And like anything else, I mean, I think with, with, with uh, cycling in particular, so much of the sport is a mental game. Uh, and, you know, getting on a TT bike is intimidating. It's scary uh, the first time you do it. But, and you know, and I've, my, my experience on TT bikes is fairly limited. I've done some, but not a lot. But when you get on it and you have a good fit, uh, it's actually a fairly quick transition period. Uh, but I, I guess, you know, having the experience that you have with riding TT bikes fairly often and, and you know, across that gamut of technology, um, is there, in your mind anyway, uh, a reason to be, quote unquote, afraid of TT bikes and, and uh, you know, doubt their safety? I don't think so. I mean, when I started, my first TT bike was a, a road bike with clip-ons on it. So that's not really a major transition. And then going from that to a, a full-on, full-on and inverted commas in 1998 or whatever it was, TT bike, that didn't feel like a very big jump either. The handling of that bike was a bit different. But, you know, I, I had a, a dedicated TT bike within a year of taking up cycling because there's such a time trial scene over here in the first races I did with time trial. So that was the route I went down. I'm not the position of having ridden a road bike for five or six years and suddenly buying a TT bike and moving across to it. I don't really know what that's like. I I struggle to see it as being an enormously different thing. There's plenty of people who ride track bikes who can switch backwards and forwards to a pursuit bike and so on with very, very little fuss. So I think you're right. There's nothing to be... I think if the handling is very diff- different and the handling is very difficult, it's because you've got the wrong bike or you've got the wrong bike fit or there's 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 a problem. It shouldn't be difficult, and you know anyone who's good at it, it'll be fine. It'll be the same thing. Sure, sure. So, what's your take on the whole kerfuffle recently? I mean, we we've seen some pretty horrific crashes between Chris Froome and Egan Bernal in recent years, uh, and and it's it's a frightening thing to see. But it's it's also taking a step back and looking more broadly. It is a training crash 
and these happen on all sorts of bikes. Uh, and it's it's happening in a scenario where they're out on open roads. So what's your take on, on what, for example, Chris Froome saying, we need to go back to using regular bikes for time trial bikes or whatever his quote was. Is that something that you see happening? I don't see that happening because the issue isn't the time trial bike, the issue is the position. If it's getting more dangerous, and I'm not entirely sure, to be honest, that it is. I think we've seen a couple of bad crashes, but they've been for different reasons. Uh, Chris Froome's crash was out of a freak crash. Egan Bernal hit the hit a stationary, set a stationary vehicle, as far as I can see. There are the different kind of things. The issue with the position now is that wind tunnel position, wind tunnel testing produces a very head-down position because your head's a very significant aerodynamic element. And basically, the lower you can get your head, the faster you go. And the lower you put your head, the less you can see and I think that's part of what's happening is that you've got to go out and train in this position so you're training on the open road at 54 55 maybe 60 70 kilometers an hour down a hill with slightly limited forward visibility because you've got your head tucked in if we ban time trial bikes people are going to have to learn to adopt the same position on a road bike and you're going to be right back where you started it's not the bike it's the position and because the position's an aerodynamic factor it's going to stay the same whatever. You're going to have the same problem. The only way I can see you could solve it is if you banned either time trialing in total or you somehow try and restrict aerodynamics or you make really very, very painstaking, pernickety specifications about what position you can ride a time trial bike or ride a bike in in a time trial. And I just don't see that happening. I think, I think it's a problem that is caused by aerodynamics. It's physics is the problem here. Um, and we're not going to go back to a position where we don't know that stuff anymore. Yeah. And, and I think on that point, uh, you know, I'm going to rewind a little bit a few years to when disc brakes were a big controversy. And all of the pros that I spoke with uh, for various podcasts and articles that I had written at that time said sort of along the same lines, which is whatever the technology is, the pros are going to push it to its limits. And so it doesn't really matter what you put in their hands. They're going to find the limits. And for a pro, you know, there's an element of danger there. It's always going to be there. And so whatever technology comes up, that's where they're going to go with it. And I think that applies to the time trial bike as well. So, you know, again, going back to what you said, if we ban time trial bikes and then you're forced to find a new position on your regular road bike, is that even more dangerous, you know? Uh, and I think there's an argument there. And, and there's also a question of, would you know, would you have different separate time trial bikes under the current road regulations, or would you literally have to use the same bike for everything? You could perhaps ameliorate it a bit by saying you've got to use the same bike for everything, except I then think what would happen for particularly GC contenders, you've got to do everything, is they would then be changing their road position so that their standard, in inverted commas, road position was already kind of semi-set up for time trialing, which would make things worse than they are now, because then they'd be training like that all the time. Michael, thanks for joining me. Um, if people want to find you on Twitter, I know you're fairly active there. Do you want to give them your handle so they can ask you questions? Yeah, I'm at Dr. underscore Hutch. That's D-O-C-T-O-R underscore Hutch. So that's all spelled out. Um, that's me on Twitter. I'm I'm available on other platforms as well. But yeah, if you want to shout out me on Twitter, that's probably where most people start. We are back with the Ruler Tech Podcast. I'm Dan Cavallari. And, you know, with all of the the uh, geometry and uh, body positioning uh, of a TT bike, it, it certainly seems like it's sort of a, a tough one to pilot. Uh, but, you know, the pros have been doing it for many years. And, uh, you know, crashes in general are not that common. And I think we, we tend to make it a big deal in our heads because when they do happen, it's pretty spectacular. 
So I wanted to talk to a pro cyclist who can tell me a little bit about what it's like to ride these bikes at the highest levels of the sport. And so on the line right now from Spain is uh, Tom Skoinch, who uh, Trek Sega Fredo rider, who, by the way, is a two-time Latvian national time trial champion. You know, you've spent a lot of time on a time trial bike. Obviously, not recently. You said uh, it's been a while since you've you've actually been in a time trial. But you know, your your focus isn't necessarily time trialing uh, in the world tour. But you still have to do it. You still have to kind of jump on a time trial bike after a long time off of it. What is that like to get on a bike that's totally different from your normal road bike? What does the body positioning feel like? Um, is there an adjustment period for you? Yeah, I think there's uh, kind of like two ways of doing it. It's either ride it all the time, every week, a few times, or don't ride it at all until you race it. <laughs> Seems like that's kind of the approach people uh, do. And uh, I'm definitely, I've been on both spectrums. Uh, when I'm yeah getting ready for uh, nationals or another TT or just seems like it's the year that I do want to focus on TTs, then I do ride the bike uh, quite a bit. Uh, actually, even now I have it set up on the trainer uh, just because there's some rainy days here in Girona that uh, is always nice to jump on the trainer. Uh, just in case, uh, not to get too wet, the bike's set up and I don't have to worry about it and waste time setting it up. It always takes me quite a bit of adjustment uh, just because how the body weight is really distributed. I think that's the biggest change. We always try and get uh, the seat at five centimeters from the bottom bracket, which is the rules, just because then you have the hip as open as possible, but can get the body as low as possible without yeah, closing the hip, let's say. Um, so that's your are always pretty far forward and pretty much on the front wheel, uh, a lot more body weight on the front wheel. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the biggest, uh, biggest change I see. Of course, the body position is always different and like you really have to think about where your head is. But uh, I think the weight distribution is handling wise and safety wise is the biggest thing that comes to mind. Now, one of the things that I notice when I'm watching time trials uh, is when you come into corners, uh, you have to get from the, you know, the, the arrow extensions to your wing bars. And that actually involves a pretty, pretty significant motion. You know, it's not like on your road bike where you can just kind of slide from the drops to your hoods. It's, you know, it's literally moving your whole forearms. Um, can you just kind of talk us through what that feels like, you know, in, in a race situation and, and how you sort of get yourself used to making that big movement without, um, you know, losing your sense of, of control? Because like you said, there's so much weight over the front and then you're sort of almost in a, in an instant shifting it backwards and moving your hands. What's that, what's that feel like to you? Like the difficulty of that, uh, transition is actually a lot to do with how your, uh, bars are set up. Say if you have extensions that have the elbow pads, I mean, pretty high up because there's like higher ones and lower ones. So you actually have to not only go out and but you have to like lift your arm up and then go out uh, so it actually yeah takes more time and maybe even more practice to not catch get your arm on the edge of the elbow pad it always takes a little bit of focus you're breathing as hard as you can already so you always try and a uh, little bit ease off and uh, make sure that you don't make a mistake because also the bars uh, on the bottom usually don't have uh, that much bar tape especially if you're not wearing gloves or your hands are a bit 
uh, sweaty, then there's a, there's a lot of room for error for sure. Yeah, that's a big scary motion, especially heading into a turn. I mean, there's just so much happening all at once. And I'm looking at some photos of you on your TT bike, and, and you've kind of got some of those those elbow pads that rise up a little bit. So you, you know, at least in the photos that I'm looking at, mine are, mine are well, at least fairly low. Um, but you see some guys that are like they almost wrap around the whole armor. Yeah, I mean it's it's a frightening thing because you're you're kind of locked into that position, and it's almost like disengaging and then moving your whole upper body. Um, that looks frightening to me, <laughs> just looking at photos. Um, but also, you know, because your weight is so far forward and you're really pushing down on that front end, what does that do to the rear end of the bike, especially during braking? Um, and I'm thinking particularly about, I think it was, I think it was two years ago at the tour, uh, Egan Bernal was coming into a corner and, you know, just, it was dry. It was, you know, there was no rain or anything like that, but, and he looked like he was just heading into a corner like you normally would. And then his rear wheel just started to sort of skitter across the pavement. It, is is braking different uh, when you're in the TT position or especially when you're coming into corners like that? I mean, you definitely need to get uh, the body weight back before you start really braking. Uh, and yeah, when you get out of the position, you really try to uh, get the body weight back and get a bit more stability. Uh, There's definitely, yeah, something that you need to think about. And something some guys are better than others. If you see guys like Ghana flying through TTs, he really is... Uh, really well at uh, handling his TT bike because he rides it so much. And then you have guys that don't ride it at all that'll take uh, the corners a bit more cautious. I'm about as flexible as, as uncooked pasta. So um, my when I'm on a TT bike, my head, my eyes visually are pointing down toward the ground. But I'm looking at your position and, and you're clearly looking down at the ground, but also uh, you're far more flexible than I am. Um, talk a little bit about what you see during the course of a time trial. Are you mostly looking down at the pavement? Can you see what's ahead of you? Do you have like a, a process of checking to make sure you're not about to hit anything? Yeah, I mean, that also is something you do with practice, I think. Uh, you feel more comfortable on the bike, thus you can, I don't know, not on a straightaway look less where you're going and just focus on putting your head down because if you put your head down then your head is between the shoulders and thus you are more arrow uh, which is obviously quite dangerous when you don't see where you're going um, <clears throat> I if it's a picture of me actually looking down that's probably one of the rare moments uh, especially like I mean lately because as you said I haven't been really going for the TTs uh, this year that much but uh, yeah, it depends on the course, depends on uh, how smooth the road is, uh, how much you want to be looking ahead. And uh, yeah, there's some guys that really start counting the white lines almost, you know, until uh, they decide to make a turn. But um, yeah, I don't know, it's always a tricky, tricky question. I mean, it's not just in TTs that uh, guys put their head down, it's also in road races. That you do it because I mean it's faster and if you are on a big road just going straight then there's no in theory need to look where you're going you're still just going forward. There's been a lot of uh, pros and uh, and non-pros who have had opinions about TT bikes recently and whether they should be changed or disallowed and we should do time trials on the regular road bike. What's your thoughts on that? Do you I mean do you do you find the time trial bike to be especially problematic for you or is it just another bike and, and you're okay with it? I mean, I haven't really seen a good argument against them, uh, really. 
I think it's cool to have TT bikes. I think it's cool that there's a discipline where it's so focused on individual rider and being aero and being like having some extra technology, having something uh, extra that you don't use in normal road races where it's not just about aero but also about tactics and so on. So I like that there's at least yeah one discipline where you can get the geeks out and get the special carbon whatever is out and uh, play around. I think it's super cool for technology in general. I think the safety issue is is not really our argument because people take risks on the road bikes and if you just have TTs on the road bikes it's going to be the same same thing. People are going to keep their head down, not look where they're going. And uh, so I mean it's going to be just the same. So uh, there's really not, in my opinion, really not a good argument against them. Tom, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. It, uh, it, It's always valuable to chat with you, and uh, I always have fun uh, hearing your perspective. So thanks for joining us today. And uh, you can find him on Instagram, Twitter, all the all the the general places you would look. And of course, if you have questions for me, you can find me at Slow Guy Fast Ride on Twitter and at Slow Guy on the Fast Ride on Instagram. And of course, you can find us uh, at Ruler Magazine on all the social media channels. We're always happy to answer your questions, and I'm always happy to pester Tom. So if you have uh, <laughs> questions for Tom's, I'll pass them right along to him. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode of the Ruler Tech Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.